Um, as we start this morning, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. I think we've all been here, I think from maybe, well, Piper has been, but she probably just doesn't realize it, to the oldest of us. You ever, you ever been caught red-handed in the very act doing something you knew you weren't supposed to do? Yeah, hand in the cookie jar type thing, and you got you got uh, no excuse, no story that's going to justify or help you, right? It's what is that feeling? What does that feel? It's like the bottom of your stomach drops out, and it's in your feet, and your heart starts pounding, and all the blood drains from your face, and you're like, "Uh oh, I'm in trouble," right? Ever been there? Uh, well, flip that script. Have you ever been caught red-handed doing something that was good, that you were rewarded for, that you were like, hey, they saw me doing that? You go through these thankless tasks day by day. Nobody sees them. Nobody appreciates it. And then one day you're caught doing something that you're supposed to be So young ones, kids, anybody ever been caught doing something they were supposed to be doing? I hope so. And I hope that we as parents are good at catching our kids doing something they're supposed to do. Um, but like, it's really good when all your siblings are doing something they're not supposed to be doing and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? That's a good thing. <clears throat> they're in trouble, but you're obedient. You're the good child. You're, you've, you've got the pose and the halos around your head. And mom or dad says, see, you should be like them because they're doing what they're doing. You're like, yeah, you should be like me, right? They all get in trouble, but you, you get applauded. You get rewarded. You get extra ice cream. You get to stay up later. I don't know what your reward is. But that's a good feeling, right? That's as good a feeling as the bad feeling is when you get caught doing something you're not supposed to do. Well, today we're going to see both ends of that spectrum. And Jesus is going to give us <clears throat> clear examples in a vivid and actually startling story that Jesus tells that's going to end our long time in Matthew chapter 24. So if you would please stand as we read these seven verses that have just been rattling around in my head and heart all week long. The Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Son speaking here. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But... If that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, we sang... In that first song that we're waiting for Christ to return. And we said that we believe that you're coming soon. God, I pray that that would be true in our lives. And I pray that as we look at this passage today, that your Holy Spirit would supernaturally impress upon us the urgency of this matter. God, we need your help. And we expect you to help us understand and implement what you're teaching us today through your word. In the power of your spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Man, what a passage. Who then, 
he says in verse 45, is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. And we have to go back. I've got, I've got to go back to verse 44 to kind of set up the flow here. So I'm going to do that and then read verse 45 again. Therefore, Jesus says to his disciples, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Now, Jesus is going to, uh, from this passage and then all the way through chapter 25, which is going to take us a while to get through, Jesus is going to, starting today and through that passage in chapter 25, take great pains to make sure that his disciples get the point that readiness, not know-it-allness, is the goal when it comes to his return. The goal, the one single-minded focus that we should have as the people of God about the return of Christ is, I want to be ready. That's the goal. And Jesus is going to take this passage and the whole chapter in chapter 25 to drive that point home. And He's going to show them that He could literally come at any time, which then should affect how they should approach looking for that return. He may come sooner. He may come later. And here in this illustration or parable that in chapter 24, we will see a servant who doesn't expect his master's return until later, which turns out to be disastrous for him. The first parable in chapter 25 is going to give us an example of the master returning later than some expected, which turns out bad for them. And then the rest of chapter 25 gives two examples of the judgment that awaits those who were faithful while he was gone and those who weren't. So here, back in our first verse in today's passage, Jesus is setting the table for his call for his disciples to be both faithful while he's gone and ready when he comes back. Faithful while he's gone and ready when he comes back. Now, having said in verse 44 that they and we are to be ready since He's coming at an hour that we don't expect, the call goes out for faithfulness and wisdom. Who then, Jesus says, is the faithful and wise servant? Now, let's stop there uh, for a minute because there's a lot to unpack there. His command was be ready. And now we see what that ready looks like. And it's found in three words, faithful, wise, and servant. And we would do good to understand these three words and how they should apply to us as we work and wait for His return. So we'll start actually with the word servant. Those looking for Christ's return see themselves as His servants. Don't forget that. That's primary, that's key to everything that we're going to look at today. And this word would make a great word study through your New Testament because it is dominant. There's a lot of this in the New Testament. 125 times this word is used in the New Testament. That's important. 27 books in the New Testament and this word is used 125 times between those 27 books. Uh, Doulos is the word. It's translated bond and bondman, a slave, bondman, man of servile condition, a slave, 
one who gives himself up to another's will, uh, one who gives himself up to another's will, those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. One C, devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests, a servant and attendant. Now, let me tell you what, that definition itself would preach a while. Okay, we could spend a few weeks there. We won't, but we could. If we are to be ready for Jesus' return, we are to be first and foremost servants in this sense. And whose servants are we? That's the Sunday school question, right? The answer is always Jesus. Jesus. If you're a younger kid, Jesus. If you, I don't know. But the answer is we are Christ's servants. And that, again, is super important. And what I want to look at here in this definition specifically is one C there. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. We will see in verse 47 that the master in this illustration puts this servant that is being spoken of over all his possessions. But here in verse 45, it says that he was set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Now think about that. The master is going away and he takes this servant and he sets that servant over the master's household, not the servant's household, over the master's household, and his job, his goal, the command of the master is give them their food at the proper time. So this servant is not handling his own stuff. He is given charge of his master's stuff. And here's something that's very important. And he's given charge over the master's people as well. This servant is to give the rest of the master's household, the rest of the people of the household, their food at the proper time. Now that could also be the master's family along with the other servants. This servant is to give them all their food at the proper time. That speaks to the other servants, the other members of the master's house, his relatives, whoever is there. And like I said in verse 47, he's also shown to be managing all the master's stuff, his possessions as well. This servant is not serving his own interests. He is devoted to the master and what is the master's. That's his focus. And for sure, this is also serving the servant's interest as well. But the best way to serve the servant's own interests, if you're the servant, is to be devoted to the master's command to the disregard of his own interests, his own things, his own stuff, his own people. Now, it will pay off for him if he's faithful, but only if he disregards himself in the process and counts the others as more important than himself. Why? Because the master said so. That's his job. So that servant, and again, devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. That's, that's pretty, pretty big. Now let's look at our second word, which is faithful. Who is the faithful servant, Jesus asked. The word faithful is another familiar New Testament word. It is pistos, 67 times. And that's a form of the word faith, which is pistis. Okay, And I'm not going to read all that. You can kind of see 
um, trusty, faithful, one who kept his plighted faith, easily persuaded, uh, one who is convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead, one who has become convinced that Jesus is the Messiah and the author of salvation. Now, I want to look, though, at that 1A of persons who show themselves faithful in the transaction of business, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. Okay? The faithful man does what is put in his charge to do. He takes care of business. Now, if you were with us Wednesday night, what were we talking about? Faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? And what Piper said was, the, faith, the reason the Ephesians were called faithful is because they are in Christ Jesus, and what made them faithful was their faith in God's ability to do what he said he was going to do. So what made them faithful is their faith in a faithful Savior. Okay? And as we looked at that, I think that's important to remember here. The focus of the faithful person is knowing the faithfulness of God. Well, here in our passage today, the servant is faithful to do what he's supposed to do, if he's faithful, and he is, he says here in our passage, because he knows the master will return. So then he does what he does. And if the master is faithful to return, which this servant says, I believe that's going to happen, so I'm going to be about my duties, then the master is going to hold him accountable when he returns. There's both a sense of duty and a fear of judgment of that duty if it isn't carried out. The faithful servant is putting their faith in the certainty of the master. The master will return. The master will evaluate if the servant has been faithful. So the servant proves faithful looking for the fulfillment of the master's plans and commands. That's the motivation. Not the servant's own goodness or ability, but his faith in what his master has said and commanded. That makes for a faithful servant. Let that kind of in your head and your heart because that's important. What is my motivation? What is my hope? What is my confidence in? Not my ability, but in the faithfulness of the master to do what he said he would do. Doing what he commanded by a faithful master to do. And finally, in this progression of these three words, so we've seen servant And we've seen faithful. Now the word wise, which is pretty straightforward, not a lot here. Phronimos, translated as wise, intelligent, wise, prudent, mindful of one's interest. Now isn't that funny? We've come back to wisdom being knowing, being mindful of one's interests. But we said the interest of this servant is the interest of the master. And a wise person knows that. This is not just the servant trying to do good for himself. This is the servant trying to please his master and that being what his interests are in. I want my master to be pleased. A wise servant is intelligent and prudent, being mindful of what his interests are. And like we said before, this servant is wise because he's made the master's business his priority over his own business and interests. The wisdom here is knowing what will serve his best interest, denying himself... Focusing on the master's will and the master's business is what's best for the servant. And the wise servant is not only aware of that, but also active and diligent to see it brought to pass in his own life. And so, 
This faithful and wise and wise servant in verse 45 is one, quote, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. So, Jesus speaking to his disciples in that time when he's speaking, Jesus speaking to us today through his word, he is preparing his disciples for his going away. And he's telling them to be ready for his return, explaining that while he's gone until he does return, they are over his household. They are tasked with giving the members of God's household their food at the proper time. Now what's that mean? Well, I think simply it means that as servants of God, being about the master's business is taking care of each other. That's pretty simple. We, as servants of God, are to faithfully and wisely see to the needs of the other members of the house. A faithful and wise servant of God makes the needs of the other servants their main focus. Now don't rush by that. We are, all of us, individually and collectively, all of us, called to this. And if we are to be ready for His return, it will show in how we are serving one another. It will be shown in how we are serving one another. Now and until He comes back. That's the Master's business and we are to make it our primary concern. Not trying to figure out when He will return. We're going to see in a minute that leads to disastrous consequences but being about his business until he does come. And his business, his kingdom, is made up of people. Saved, redeemed, needy, messy people. Faithful and wise servants know this and busy themselves with the same saved, redeemed, needy, messy people. I had a couple in therapy the other day. And I was, we were going through Ephesians 5 and how the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, laying his life down for her, uh, giving up his life so that she might be sanctified and blessed. And, and the guy looked at me with a blank face and he said, how long do I have to do this? And I said, yes, you never stop doing this. Same with what we're talking about here today. How long do I have to serve these other needy, messy people until Jesus comes back? And here's the good news, and it is good news. This works out pretty well for this servant. Verses 46 and 47. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So there's that kingdom of heaven word, which we looked at back in the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon, Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Blessed, blessed. And do you remember what it means? There's a real one, easy, simple one word definition for the word blessed or blessed. It's happy. Happy. And it means more than just, hey, I'm happy today. It means I am very pleased with the happenings around me. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, is what the psalmist says. Happy is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. 
Now, like we said at the beginning, nobody likes it when they get caught doing what they shouldn't do. But conversely, we all love it when we get caught doing what, what's good or right or somebody prays for. Caught red-handed being faithful. Well, Jesus is saying that upon his return, at a day and an hour that no one knows, his servants will be blessed, they'll be happy, if he finds them doing what he's called them to be doing. That faithful and wise servant is going to be happy to see his master. And I don't think it's just because they got caught doing right. No, there's more to it than that. A faithful and wise servant loves their master and is also just glad to see him, just glad they're back. No fear, no dread, oh no, what didn't I get done? But only joy and relief that the master is back because he's my master. And I love him. And their deeds, their faithfulness, do put them in a place of being caught in doing right. And that's surely a good thing as well. Because, Jesus says, if and when that happens, that servant will also be happy because the master, listen, will set him over all his possessions. Now don't. Raced by that too quickly either. This servant who has been faithful and wise by serving the other servants and gets caught doing so gets, quote, set over all the master's possessions. Now let me ask you a really easy question. Who's the master in this story? It's Jesus. Okay, Jesus is saying, I'm going away. You're going to be happy if you're found faithful and wise when I return. Now let me ask you another easy question. What belongs to Jesus? Everything. The heavens are declaring the glories of the Lord. The earth and the heavens and space and solar systems and galaxies and the universe and everything in it belongs to God. And this faithful and wise servant gets set then by cause of his faithfulness over what? After the master finds him doing what he's commanded him to do. He gets set over everything. Paul tells the Corinthians, do you not know we're going to judge angels? And you can't settle disputes among yourselves? You're going to a law, a court of law to let pagans decide your future? And how you should work things out? Do you not know? You're going to judge angels. Why? Because we are children of the King, joint heirs with Christ. And when He returns and finds us faithful, He's going to put us over everything. You're like, I don't know that I want that responsibility. (laughs) You're going to want it because you're going to have the ability to carry it out then. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. You're going to get set over everything. Now talk about delayed gratification. Messy people right now, everything later. Blessed, happy is the faithful and wise servant who subjugates his current desires so that he can focus on the desires of his master because when the master returns and catches that servant doing faithful and wise things, truly, amen, says the Lord of lords, the master of masters, that master will set that servant, again, get this, over all the master's possessions. Everything. That servant had been faithful, listen to me, with the day-to-day, the mundane, serving food to other people. And as a result, the master comes back and finds him serving food to other people. 
And that servant gets put, put over everything. Moms, be encouraged. You are serving the master when you're serving those kids that food they don't like. Or what they do like too. But it gets frustrating, doesn't it? Boring, grind, day to day. Nobody appreciates me. The master appreciates you. He's going to show that as you continue to be faithful when he finds you doing right when he comes back. And then he's going to set you over everything. Blessed indeed. Happy indeed. Wow. Now, we take a turn in verse 48. But, if that wicked servant says to himself, hmm, my master is delayed. Now, you could insert the ominous dun-dun-dun here at this point of the story, right? Blessed, faithful servant, deals well with the master's household, gets everything that is the master's as a reward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and we know that word well, right? Everything was looking so good in the first three verses, but man, these last four are going to be a bear. But, if that servant is not a faithful and wise servant, but is a what? A wicked servant. The Greek word for wicked is... Kakos. Now that just sounds wicked, doesn't it? I'm going to start saying that. You is kakos. That's what's the matter with you. You is kakos. Forty times in the New Testament. Of a bad nature. Not such as it ought to be. Of a mode of thinking, feeling, acting, base, wrong, wicked, troublesome, injurious, pernicious, destructive, baneful. That's a great word right there. Baneful. No one cared about me. Until I put on the mash. That was pretty good. I'm going to have to listen to that later. (laughs) Citizens of Gotham. (laughs) Wicked. Cacos. All these words are good for wicked, but look at that. Not such as it ought to be. Hmm. Now that resonates with me in this passage. What is a servant? A servant is one who focuses on the wants, needs, desires, and commands of their master, not their own. Why? Because they know they don't belong to themselves. They belong to another. And when a servant is not as they ought to be, they are wicked. So then what are they focused on? Well, this servant says to himself. He's talking to himself. He's focused on himself. And his internal dialogue is, hey, my master is delayed. I've got an opportunity to please myself. I was tasked with giving food at the proper time to all of his household. That entails that there's food here. Probably some drink. Why should I care about them? Hmm. This guy's like, my master isn't coming soon. And the thought pattern that arises from that is not selfless serving. It's not loving and caring for others. No, really it is exactly the opposite. Verse 49, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. Yikes. So this guy, 
who has been reasoning with himself and comes to the conclusion that his master isn't coming back anytime soon. He's delayed. He ain't coming for a while. And then he does what is logically next in the progression, right? He begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. That's what I'd do. Maybe not. But hey, whatever floats your boat, servant guy, right? Man, I've just been dying to beat these guys. And man, (laughs) well, maybe that is. Maybe, I don't know. And while that's a little tongue-in-cheek on my part, it really, it really is the point. This guy, convinced that his master isn't coming anytime soon, stops serving others and actually resorts to abusing others. He begins to beat his fellow servants. Now, why would he do that? I'm not sure, but it's the exact opposite of what he's supposed to be doing. He's supposed to be caring for them. And instead of doing that, he starts to beat them. That's Jesus' point here. He's doing the exact thing he's not supposed to do. If you're not caring for others, you're abusing them. You may not be beating on anybody, but Jesus has said so many times in Matthew, and then he says it through the rest of the Gospels, things like, He who is not with me is against me. Whoever is not sowing is scattering. We talked about this in a prior application point, in a prior message about the, the... The necessity of antithesis. If you're not serving, you're abusing. And that's exactly what Jesus is illustrating here. We said last week that Jesus' return is going to show a clear, simple line of separation. And this parable or illustration that Jesus is using here is showing that separation, not in His judging... That's not the separation that's being shown here, but rather in how people are living before his return in judgment. The servant's job was to be over his master's household to give them their food at the proper time. He was to take care of people, but instead he does the opposite and beats them, hurts them, abuses them. And he doesn't just mistreat others, he also indulges himself. It says he also eats and drinks with drunkards. Again, this is the opposite end of the spectrum. He's not just eating and drinking and enjoying himself, but he's doing so with drunkards. He's doing what he does with no thought of others, only with gluttonous self-focus. And he's with others who are gluttonously self-focused. And what should have been given to sustain others is being abused to a point of sin. And that's the point of the drunkards there. And all because he decided in his own mind that his master is delayed. His master's not coming for a while now. And with his time that he sees now as his own, he focuses on who? Himself. He is a selfish, gluttonous drunk. Because when we focus on ourselves, let's not stop pointing the finger at him. When we focus on ourselves... When we don't care about others, listen to me, it always leads to selfish excess. Always. The call of the Bible is to self-denial, not self-indulgence. And our culture is screaming, find yourself, know yourself, be yourself, please yourself. And the scripture says, deny yourself. Deny yourself. Deny yourself and deny yourself. 
And that selfishness that we all are so prone to in our flesh creeps up on us when we lose our focus of what we're supposed to be doing while our master is away. And let me tell you, as a matter of first-hand experience, the most miserable people on the face of the earth are those who are focused on themselves. Selfish people are miserable. Self is a cruel taskmaster. Self is never satisfied. And this guy here thinks he's living his best life now, but guess what? Verse 50. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. You see, the master is coming back. And while old beating and drinking guy is living it up, What he's really doing is losing sight of the surety of the master. And now that master is going to show his his buddy and drinking his sixth beer of the morning. Jesus says, like he has said about his coming before this parable, that he, the master, being described in this story, will come on a day when that servant does not expect him. And at an hour, that servant does not know. And if this guy isn't expecting the master, then he's just going to keep beating and drinking, focused on himself and abusing his fellow servants and neglecting them in their need. And that's exactly what he'll be doing when his master comes up the road to check on things finally. And the hand is in the cookie jar for himself. And boy, howdy. Does it get ugly then? Look at verse 51. So the master is going to return when he doesn't expect it and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This guy doesn't get a slap on the wrist. This guy doesn't get put in time out. This guy doesn't, isn't given some time to think about what he's been doing. No. So the master comes back. Now listen to me. I'll I'll get to that later. So the master comes back unexpectedly because this servant hadn't been focused on the return of his master. And so it catches him off guard. And he's blatantly disobeying his master's commands. And this guy is a servant. And the master is his master. And being faithful or wise, so instead of being rewarded with more than he could ever dream of, Jesus says that the master, quote, will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. Now, now what? What in the world's going on here? What's this mean? Well, don't be too hasty, Master Mary. This is judgment language. Okay? It's not literal. Here's another figurative, expressive, idiomatic saying. It's a reference to being judged. We say things like, I got chewed out. Hopefully nobody chewed on you, literally. If they did, report those suckers, okay? (laughs) A little crude, but he ripped me a new one. Or I took a beating when we're held responsible for our actions by those in authority over us. And yeah, cut them to pieces is pretty harsh language, but it's supposed to be. And, and really, it can be translated cut off, which could mean separation, which could mean vacated of his position, separated from the rest of the people. 
And I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, hell is nothing but me alone for all eternity. Oh, no thank you. So cut in pieces can be translated a little different, but it's judgment language. That's the point. It's a sure sign of harsh punishment, probably the harshest punishment, the worst that can be imagined. And this servant will suffer that punishment and will be put with the hypocrites. Now, is there anything worse to Jesus Christ than a hypocrite? No. And man, that's convicting. Jesus was quick to label the scribes and the Pharisees as what? Hypocrites, play actors, which shows just how bad of a title that is. He condemned them, those scribes and Pharisees, to hell, and that's exactly what he's referencing here. That's made clear when he adds at the end in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a common refrain for what will become of those in hell. They will spend eternity weeping, showing pain and suffering, sadness, and gnashing their teeth. Now, what is gnashing your teeth? What's that an expression of? Can be pain. Herb Hodges said, gnashing of teeth is defiance. Gnashing their teeth. And they're in defiance of this judgment. And they hate God who has judged them. And for eternity, they'll be gnashing their teeth, shaking their fist, hating the God who put them there. Even though they're there justly. They're going to be in pain, they're going to be sad, and they're going to be hating God for all of eternity, suffering, weeping, and gnashing their teeth. This wicked servant is condemned to spend eternity where wicked people spend eternity. Jesus says the master, when he comes, will judge the wicked servant when he returns and will send him to hell. Now don't miss that. When the master returns, he returns in rewards for the faithful and judgment for the wicked. And it seems like from Jesus' story so far, his teaching so far, that both happens when he returns. Now, I don't know what that does to our end times eschatological thinking here. But I, I'm struggling with, and here's where I said last week about the rapture, and is there a rapture, and is it pre, mid, post, partial, full, and all these thoughts. I don't see a separation of the judgments here. When the master returns, he rewards those who are faithful, and he punishes those who are wicked. Something to think about as we're turning all this over. And both the rewards and the consequences are based on the conduct of those being judged. The master returns. Servants are serving either well or not well, either obedient to the master or not obedient to the master, and all are judged for their actions when he returns. And that's where we end chapter 24. So we've got application. Three D's. Decision, do, and doulos. Huh? See what I did there? Sorry, it's actually it's decision, doulos, and then do. I had it mixed up there. Decision, doulos, and do. So the first application point is decision. And the point here is that Jesus, when he returns, is returning as the judge. And what's he going to judge? 
He's going to judge our actions. You're like, well, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was a little kid, and I've asked him to do that four or five times just to make sure I'm okay. I hope that's not your hope. I hope that you're seeing obedience in your life to the master, to the judge who is returning. If you don't see obedience in your life, there's no fruit in your life, and there's no such thing, no such thing as a fruitless disciple. And the judge will determine that when he comes. And this is what I was going to say earlier, and I want to insert it here. Listen, if we are coddling sinners and, tell, and that Jesus loves them in the end, we are not doing them a fair service. Are you being obedient to your master? Well, I don't have a master. You do have a master. And that master is returning, and when he returns, he's going to return in judgment. And he's going to determine whether you've been faithful or wicked. And we saw in our passage today that when the master returned, whether it was rewarding obedience or punishing disobedience, he made that decision. And he acted instantly. Now I will say that I don't know exactly how that's going to look or work. This parable doesn't really tell us that as far as what that judgment looks like in real life and real time. But it does tell us that the master is coming back to make judgment on how his slaves were living. What were they doing and were they doing what they were supposed to be doing? What he told them to be doing? If so, well done. You now receive all that is mine, is what the judge, the master will say. If they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, they're going to be cut off, cut in pieces, and assigned a place where the hypocrites weep and gnash their teeth for eternity. And listen, there's no middle ground. There's no place of neutrality. There are no neutral servants. Faithful and wise or wicked. That's it. We're not all all right. And that's going to be shown when the judge returns. And Christ's return will show whether we're faithful or whether we're wicked. Now, as far as application goes, it behooves us to make sure we know who Jesus is in this story and in the real world. Listen to me. Jesus Christ is going to judge the inhabitants of the earth, past, present, and future, from Adam until the end. Every single one of us, every single human being from creation until eternity future will answer to Jesus Christ eventually. To His standards, His commands, His judgments, because He is the judge. Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority belongs to Christ. Did y'all see the who? I don't remember who it was. Was it Jerry Nadler? Adler, Jerry Adler, Nadler, I don't remember his name. It was said in the national legislature this week that God has no authority in this chamber. 
I shouldn't laugh, I should be weeping. Because that man is a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart that God doesn't have authority over me or where I work. Or the laws that I make. Tell the one who has all authority that. You don't have authority here. Paul says it this way. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Happy is that servant who sees the master coming when they're being obedient. Paul says, I know that I've got a crown laid up for me. And who's going to give me that crown? The judge, the righteous judge, who is going to either reward or punish Every single person who's ever lived. Every single one of them. James says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? One lawgiver, one judge, and he's the same person. The man, Christ Jesus. Will you love his appearing? Will he judge you faithful or wicked? Now let me be clear here too. Your deeds do not save you. Cannot, will not ever save you. Ever. You can't try hard enough to be faithful. You will never do that in your own power. We are saved by grace through faith in the faithful one who did what he did on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and we're saved by faith in the grace that he's going to show us. But that grace that saves is never alone. That grace that saves brings about fruit or it wasn't true. It wasn't real. It wasn't authentic. I'm not telling you to try harder to do better. You say you tell us that every week. Good. I'll tell you every week. Stop trying harder to do better. That's not what I'm saying. The judge is going to determine whether you were obedient or not when he comes back. And we are to live like those who know that the judge is coming back. And the good news is we love the judge. And the judge loves us. If we've placed our faith in him. Will you love his appearing? Will he judge you faithful or wicked? And this fact of Jesus judging when he comes can also help us to interpret this end time stuff. I said there's no gap there. Just something to think about there as far as the judge goes. So that was decision. Jesus is going to be the one who ultimately makes the decision. The judge will. The second is doulos. Remember that's the word for servant. Christian, well, really everybody, saved, non-saved, we are called and we are commanded to be servants. Servants. You say, I don't know what my calling is. I do. Be a servant. Well, yeah, come on. Now you're just, no, no, that's your calling. Your calling is to be a servant. A servant to who? A servant to the master. A servant of Christ. 
We belong to Him. He is our Master. And we have lost the full import of that in our culture today where we don't see slavery in our everyday lives where people own people. Thank God. But when you're owned by another, you don't get to have an agenda. You don't get to have plans and schemes of your own. You exist as a possession of the one who purchased you. Now let me ask you, Christian. Do you understand that you belong to Christ? He is your master. And you are His servant. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. What was the price that was paid for your soul? The body and the blood of Jesus Christ Himself. Your master, your judge, purchased you with His own blood. What a price. I would think in and of myself, in and of ourselves, we're not worth that. And we're not. But He has shown us such love because of the great love with which He has loved us. He bought us. And He made us worthy. In the same way He makes us faithful, He made us worthy. He declared us worthy of His very own blood, of His body being broken for us. You are not your own. You were bought not just with a price, but with an incredibly high price. You belong to your master. And guess what? How do we serve that master? We serve our master by serving others. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. And we're like, yes, amen. That's the postmodern culture, right? I'm freedom. I can do what I want to do. Only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I'm just going to beat on my fellow slaves. I'm just going to eat and drink with drunkards because all that matters is my freedom. Paul says, no, 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 no. Use your freedom as an opportunity to serve others through love. Listen to me. This is really good news. Anybody like serving other people? Like sometimes, yeah. Yeah, I do. Do you like serving other people? Can you just, like, this is the greatest high calling of my life. I rejoice in the fact that I've just been called to serve others. I don't live there, y'all. I'm going to be honest with you. But we have freedom to serve one another through love. That's the key to service. My key to serving you is that I love you. Your key to serving each other, me, everybody, these messy, ugly, nasty, stinky people, we get to love them. And we get to be loved by them. Use your freedom, not as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You were called to this. You were called to this freedom. Now watch what Paul says. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. You want to talk about the freest thing in the world? 
being free to love and serve other people. And this is what we're called to. This is the command that the Master has given us. You are a servant. Praise God for that. There's no higher calling in the world than to be a servant of the Master and to serve our fellow slaves as we wait for His return. Now! Decision, do loss, finally do. Now, let me ask you this. This is a joy of joys. I'm excited about this. It's going to be a little bit different than a normal application point. But let me ask you this question. What does faithful and wise service look like? Now be careful here. When we think of servants of God, we think of those who are in full-time ministry. We think of foreign missionaries. We think of monks or something like that. The professional Christians. Because, well, they've devoted their whole lives to serving God, right? But guess what? Every single one of us, every single one of us is called to serve God with their whole lives. And to serve other people with their whole lives. And it may look different than you think. And I think the best picture of this is found in the book of Ephesians. If you read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters of Ephesians are probably some of the highest theology in all of the scriptures. I mean, it is high Sierra stuff. It is mountaintop experience stuff. It is we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies by His doing. You're saved by grace through faith. And I mean, just all this stuff and all the riches. And we've been given everything in Him. And He's given us to Christ and Christ to us. And all this high, we are seated with Christ. And we're, it's, it's high heavenly stuff. And then in chapter 4, we move from all that high theology to application. Now let me just, I'm going to read some longer passages from Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. And I want you to hear what faithful and wise serving looks like. You ready? Watch this. Therefore, now we're looking for faithful, wise service. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another." tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I'm going to skip to Ephesians 5.15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the day is reasonable. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine and beat your other slaves, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, Oh, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours, oh, is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Oh, stop. Now, I just read a lot of stuff. And that's what faithful, wise servants do. And you know what it's all about? It's about us serving one another. It's about a husband loving his wife. It's about a wife submitting to her husband. It's about children obeying their parents. It's about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's about building one another up, making sure that I'm not saying things that tear down, but that I build up. It's making sure that I'm not stealing anymore. I get a job so that I can work with my own hands and earn money, not just so I can have money, so that I can help people who don't have money. It's the everyday. It's the mundane. It's eating and drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage, which is what we looked at last week. Jesus said his return will be like in the days of Noah, when they were just living their lives. And you know what a faithful and wise servant does? He lives his life with one eye on the sky, looking for the return of Christ, and the other eye on everybody else saying, how can I best serve these people? And you know where you start? With the people closest to you. The ones you're around every day who get on your nerves. Whose breath is bad. Who don't like your food. Who don't show you respect. Those are the people you're supposed to be serving. In just this way that Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 describes. That's what faithful and wise servants do. It ain't flashy. It ain't field arenas where I can preach the gospel to thousands and thousands of people. It's loving my wife. It's being a good bond servant and doing my job. Why? Why am I doing these things? For the purpose of the glory of God and the good of others. That's why I'm doing them. Because that's what the master told me to do. Give them their food at the proper time. That's what the master said today.
And if you're found faithful doing that when I return, I'm going to set you over everything. To me, that's really good news. I don't have to reach some high spiritual plane of existence. If I'm, if I'm a child living with my parents, I respect them. I obey them. Why? Because that's what the scripture says to do. That's what the master told me to do. Well, sometimes it's hard because they get on my nerves. Good, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you do what you can't do in and of yourself. And by this, God is glorified. I'll finish with this again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your commands are not burdensome. You give the power to keep the commands that you've given us. And your command is to serve our master by serving each other. May we be found faithful When the master returns, may we show ourselves faithful to his faithfulness. And may you be glorified by the mundane, the everyday, the commonplace. And may the world look on and see your glory and be drawn to you as a result of our obedience. Jesus, you are our Lord. We are your servants. Help us to walk as such in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? I'm definitely in the wrong book. There it is. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said... Amen. You're dismissed. If you want to hang out, hang out out there. It's really nice.